Um, well, as we start, um, I'd like to ask you, um, who do you trust or who do you admire? Um, imagine that you are in the dentist's chair and as you lay there, the dentist asks you, um, who would you like you, uh, to do your fitting today? You have your, the option of your housemate who does study dentistry, but they've never actually done the operation before. Or you can have uh, your regular dentist, an expert in their field, uh, they've done the operation countless times before, and uh, you, you, know, you know them personally. Um, well, it's obvious, isn't it? Uh, I think you'd trust the expert. Um, I'm sorry to any uh, student dentists. Um, or take the programme The Apprentice. Uh, Alan Sugar is faced with a boardroom full of uh, applicants who promise much, but he doesn't just give them all the job. Um, he tests them to see how good they are. And uh, for those of you who have seen the programme, you will know that very often they promise much, but deliver little. Uh, last week we saw a call to Habakkuk, a call that tells him to live by faith as he faces the fact that God is going to raise up the Babylonians in judgment against Judah. Uh, the Babylonians, we read, are ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwelling places not their own. And we saw that there are two ways to live as uh, we face God's judgment. Uh, 2 verse 4 in Habakkuk says, See, he is puffed up. His desires are not upright, but the righteous will live by his faith. Two ways to live. Uh, trust in God or trust in yourself. And Habakkuk is called to trust in God, uh, to live by faith. But what reason does he have for doing this? Why shouldn't he become puffed up, living by his own strength? It seems to work out so well for the Babylonians. They are people whose own strength is their God, and they can have whatever they want in this world. Well, uh, the primary reason is that God says so. But Habakkuk has written uh, to remind us of some other reasons why we should live by faith. Uh, so in your uh, handouts, there are some questions to discuss in your groups uh, to help you to get to grips with chapter 3, 1 to 15. And uh, do use the text that's printed out in there to annotate it and split up the passage as you look through it. So there's about 15, 20 minutes to do that. Okay, well, uh, if we come uh, back together now, um, I hope that those questions were useful in uh, beginning to get uh, chapter 3 clear in your minds. Um, as we look at our passage this morning, uh, the plan is that we will see that this part of Scripture is written to remind God's people of his deeds in the past, through which God is revealed, so that we might live by faith and stand in awe of him now. Uh, let me say that again. Uh, to remind God's people of his deeds in the past, through which God is revealed, so that we might live by faith and stand in awe of him now. The content of chapter 3 seems to have changed Habakkuk from questioning God to, as we read in verse 2, stand in awe of his deeds. He has heard what God has done in the past, and now he prays to God, asking him to do three things. Um, I wonder if you saw them in that last question in your discussion. Uh, firstly, he asked God to renew them in our day. Secondly, in our time, make them known. And thirdly, in wrath, remember mercy. Uh, Habakkuk has realised that although the Babylonians might be more sinful than Israel, Israel are by no means without sin, so he pleads with God to have mercy on them amongst his righteous wrath. But what is it that has changed Habakkuk's attitude towards God? Uh, what is it that makes him stand in awe? 
Uh, Well, the answer is there at the beginning of verse 2. Lord, I have heard of your fame. He has heard of what God has done in the past, and now he is asking God to do the same again. As we read through the Old Testament, we see that Israel have had a a pretty bad track record when it comes to obeying God. In fact, over and over again, we see that people uh, disobey God, and they trust in either mute idols or even themselves. But time and time again, God delivers his people, and as, as God acts, he is revealed. Habakkuk has switched to a new style of writing, and now what we read is poetry. He has written a prayer to God in the form of a song. And uh, this is important to bear in mind as we uh, go on to look at chapter 3 together. Habakkuk is using quite emotive and uh, emotive language and imagery in this chapter uh, to remind us of things that have passed, instead of literally spelling out what he might have in mind. And of course this is a common thing for us to do even today. Uh, for an example, if I say to you the numbers 9-11 or 7-7, uh, you know exactly what I'm talking about without me even describing what happened on those days. Just a mention of the numbers, take your mind back to what happened um, on those days in history, and you may even remember what you were doing uh, at the time. Uh, in chapter 3, Habakkuk realises that he must live by faith, so to do this, he preaches God to himself. And that's our first big point. To live by faith, Habakkuk preaches God to himself. So firstly, uh, verses 3 to 7, God revealing himself. Verse 3 starts off by saying, God came from Teman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. Uh, This can sound a little cryptic to us today, uh, but the people of Israel would have known that Teman and uh, Mount Paran are landmarks on the route that God led his people through as he brought them to the promised land. In Exodus 19, we read that God showed himself to his people. Once the assembly of Israel had gathered, uh, we read that there were thunder and lightning and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast, so that all the people in the camp trembled. A little further on, uh, in Exodus 19, we read that Mount Sinai itself trembled. Uh, This is a hugely significant day in Israel's history or in the history of the world. And this is what Habakkuk is bringing to mind. Uh, Look down at verses 4 to 6 with me to see what God is like. His splendour was like the sunrise. Rays flashed from his hands. And even the sure and inanimate things of creation, uh, you see the earth itself, uh, the nations, the ancient mountains, even the age-old hills, they perish at the approach of the Lord. These seem to be the sure things of this world, the things that no man can move, but as God approaches, they wither. Nothing can stand up to God. It seems that maybe only man is foolish enough to even try. Uh, But note what comes after this. His ways are eternal. Being reminded of this will help Habakkuk to trust God because he sees just how big God is. Um, Some of you will know uh, Vic from church. Uh, She is the uh, kids' ministry trainee. And uh, last week she commented that we sing the children's song, um, Our God is a Great Big God, with, as she puts it, alarming regularity. Um, However, what a great thing to encourage faith in God. Uh, In a way, it's like Habakkuk's song. The ancient mountains uh, crumbled, the age-old hills collapsed, his ways are eternal. God is greater than even the biggest things of this world, so have faith in him. 
Habakkuk preaches God's glory and supremacy to himself to help him to live by faith. Uh, But amongst this first section uh, comes verse 5. Plague went before him, pestilence followed his steps. Um, I wonder if you, uh, like me, have ever thought about why God didn't just cause Pharaoh uh, to release the Israelites straight away in Exodus. Uh, We know that God is powerful enough to do so. Um, So what was it? Was it that he uh, misjudged the point at which Pharaoh Pharaoh would crack? Uh, He tried blood, but that didn't work, so he tried frogs. That didn't work, so he tried gnats, and so on, until the tenth time he gets lucky. Um, Well, no, of course not. But why? Well, Exodus 10, uh, verses 1 to 2, say this. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the hearts of his officials, so that I may perform these miraculous signs of mine among them, that you may tell your children and your grandchildren how I dealt harshly with the Egyptians and how I performed my signs among them, and that you may know that I am the Lord. Ten plagues wasn't God failing ten times, It was God revealing ten times that he is the Lord and that he cares for his people. He is powerful to deliver them from the hands of uh, their oppressors. At his command, the sun stops, water turns to blood, frogs dance and locusts swarm. He is truly Lord over all. Uh, Through the suffering and oppression of his people, God is revealed. And again, Habakkuk preaches God's miraculous signs and work against Egypt to himself to help him to live by faith. Uh, Habakkuk goes on. Let's take a second example of Israel's history uh, that Habakkuk looks at to help him trust God. Uh, Verse 7. I saw the tents of Cushan in anguish. uh, Sorry, distress. The dwellings of Midian in anguish. Uh, Cushan and Midian both relate back to the book of Judges. And both are nations that were opposed to Israel. Cushan is the name of a king. And he was the first king to attack Israel once they were in the promised land. We read this account in Judges 3, uh, his, uh, verses 7 and 8. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God and served Baals and Asherahs. The anger of the Lord burned against Israel, so he sold them into the hands of Cushan Rishathaim, king of Aram, Naharim. Habakkuk is recording a time very similar to his current situation. He remembers a time before when Israel had done evil in the eyes of the Lord. They had forgotten the one true God. Um, So in his anger, the Lord uses another nation, uh, the people of Cushan, to judge them. And we read that Israel was under foreign rule for eight years. Um, But why would Habakkuk turn to this? So far, it is hardly encouraging. Uh, Well, the answer comes in the following verses. Uh, Listen to verses 9 to 11. But when they cried out to the Lord, he raised up for them a deliverer, Othniel, son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother, who saved them. The Spirit of the Lord came on him so that he became Israel's judge and went to war. The Lord gave Cushan Rishathaim, king of Aram, into the hands of Othniel, who overpowered him. So the land had peace for 40 years until Othniel, son of Kenaz, died. The Lord took Israel into suffering so that they might realise that they need him. When Israel cry out to the Lord, he saved them. 
That is why Habakkuk thinks back to this time, because he now too cries out to the Lord. Uh, Did you see it there in verse 2? He says to God, in wrath, remember mercy. Habakkuk now now knows that him and his fellow people are guilty. Uh, They have turned from God and they do deserve his uh, punishment or his judgment. But as he cries out, he asks God to be merciful to them. But on what condition? Uh, Why would God do this? They are sinful after all. Uh, Well, God has done it before, and all because of the key word at the beginning of verse 2. Lord. Habakkuk is calling God by his covenant name. His covenant name that says, even when his people turn from him, when they are unfaithful, he is faithful. Uh, What greater reason could Habakkuk have to remind himself um, to live by faith? When we turn back to God, he is faithful. When we cry out to him, he will save us. Habakkuk preaches God's faithfulness to himself to help him to live by faith. Um, Well, on to our second sub-point there, the God who brings victory. Uh, The God who brings victory. I wonder what you made of verses 8 to 15 as they were read out. Uh, Here we read of God as the great warrior. Uh, Perhaps you noted down some of the language that describes God. Uh, He says, your anger, your wrath, uh, you rage, you rode, your victorious chariots, you uncovered your bow, you called um, for many arrows, you split the earth. Here again is yet another reason to have faith in God. He wins. He is mighty. Uh, In uh, verse 8, Habakkuk takes our minds back once again to the history of Israel in the Exodus. Uh, Look at verse 8 with me. Uh, Were you angry with the rivers, O Lord? Was your wrath against the streams? Did you rage against the sea when you rode out with your horses and your victorious chariots? Habakkuk is asking God if he was angry with the lifeless things of this world, uh, the rivers, the streams, the sea, and I think that the answer to these questions must be no. God was not angry with the elements of nature, but instead he was angry with the nations. Uh, Look down at verse 12. In wrath you strode through the earth, and in anger you threshed the nations. Well, where is God's wrath against the nations shown in rivers, streams, and the sea? Again, it is Exodus. Uh, Rivers turning to blood and God fighting for his people as he rescues them through the Red Sea. In the crossing of the Red Sea, God takes his people into an impossible and terrifying situation uh, so that he might show his awesome redeeming power for his church. Uh, God wasn't driven to part in the Red Sea because things got a little bit out of hand and he had to get his people out of a sticky situation, so he opens up an emergency exit through the sea. Uh, Far from it. Just as he prolonged the plagues, he also brings his people into this situation. Uh, Please turn with me in your Bibles to Exodus 14. So God has led his people to the sea's edge, and then in verse 4 we read, I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. God ordained this situation so that he may once again show that he is the Lord. You see it in that verse? The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. Uh, And in verse 10, as the people lifted their eyes, 
they saw the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. This is the extent that God went to to reveal himself to his people. Uh, He put them in what is, humanly speaking, a terrifying situation and great danger at the hand of a powerful and pagan nation, only to rescue them and through this to reveal himself. Moses tells his people uh, in verse 14 that the Lord will fight for you. You only have to be silent. They had nothing to do with their rescue. They just had to be silent. They just had to stand there and trust God. Or more literally, you could say, be still. We read on. Uh, The angel of the Lord, who was going before the host of Israel, moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. Through that night, God protected them. And, well, you know the rest of the story, don't you? Uh, God opens up the sea so that Israel might walk through to safety. Uh, And as Pharaoh and the rest of the might of his army follow, God crushes them with the waters. And then in verse 30 we read, Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power of the Lord uh, used against the Egyptians so that the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and his servant Moses. Do you see how this helps us to understand Habakkuk's change in heart and why why he presents his request to God? He says of God's deeds... Uh, maybe it's the plagues, maybe it's the Red Sea. He says, renew them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. Habakkuk is saying to God, I know that you've done these things before. Please do them again. It's by reminding himself of how God has acted in the past that he can live by faith now. And this uh, psalm of Habakkuk is full of such examples. Uh, Perhaps verse 11, uh, here Habakkuk has in mind a great way that God mightily delivered his people under Joshua from the enemy. From looking at the past, Habakkuk is strengthened to live by faith now. Uh, And what a mighty picture of God Habakkuk has painted. Uh, Do you see how this psalm would have been of great encouragement to Habakkuk? Enough to change his thinking so that he might trust God as he faces his judgment. In fact, you might even wonder how Habakkuk ever let himself slip into such an attitude that we saw in the first couple of chapters. Uh, when he had the whole of history to look back on, so many ways that God had acted in, 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 in his mighty um, power, he still questioned him. And uh, he still had to be told to live by faith. Uh, but perhaps we can relate to Habakkuk uh, more readily than we first thought. There is one thing that all people in this world can be sure of, and that is that everyone, uh, each individual, great and small, rich and poor, are all going to face God's judgment. Recently, I have been uh, studying the book of Revelation, which speaks of the coming wrath of God, and let me tell you, it is terrifying. Um, But how are you going to live as you face God's coming judgment? How are you going to live by faith? What are you going to look to? And this is our second point. We preach Christ to ourselves. I said at the beginning of this talk that uh, its purpose and the purpose of this passage um, was to remind God's people of his deeds in the past through which God is revealed so that we might live by faith in him now. 
And as we spent time looking at this song that Habakkuk wrote about God, how God has acted, um, we do see, and I hope that you've seen, um, that we do have reason to have faith in God. Uh, and like Habakkuk, we too sing songs to help us to live by faith today. But what is at the centre of our songs? Well, it's Christ, isn't it? In Christ, God is most fully revealed. In Christ, his redeeming power, his majesty, his grace, his might are most clearly seen. In Christ, God's character, as revealed throughout history, is suddenly brought into sharp focus. It's like um, when you go to the opticians uh, for an eye test, and as you sit there with those massive glasses on your nose, um, and the optician putting all those different lenses in, and they say, which one's better? Is it better you know, with or without? Um, for me, normally, the answer seems to be that it makes no difference. Uh, but sometimes, they put a lens in, and suddenly you can see everything clearly. Everything is brought into focus. And this is what Christ does for us in revealing God to us. Imagine you're taking uh, your international course mate through uh, the Bible. They've never heard anything of the Christian faith before. And uh, as you start at the beginning, um, by the time you reach the end of the Old Testament, they'll have a pretty good idea of who God is. Um, and there's enough there for them to trust him. But as you reach uh, the first Christmas, all of a sudden, they would suddenly be confronted with a beautifully clear image of who God is as you preach the person of Jesus Christ to them. As Habakkuk had faith in God, um, as God was revealed through nature in Exodus, um, we have faith in God because he is revealed most fully to us in Christ, as Christ became flesh. To the point in uh, John 14, uh, Philip says to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? If we know Christ, we know the Father. Secondly, we saw from Habakkuk that he had faith in God because God had fought for Israel in the past, in the crossing of the Red Sea and against Cushion. Habakkuk said in verse 13 that you came out to deliver your people, to save your anointed one. You crushed the leader of the land of wickedness. You stripped him from head to foot. Habakkuk looked at how God had crushed and humiliated the evil nations uh, opposed to God's people throughout history. And that is what we saw him do to Pharaoh. But verse 13 is most fully um, fulfilled in Christ. Colossians 2 verse 15 says this, And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public skeptical, spectacle sorry, um, of them, that's different, uh, triumphing over them by the cross. God doesn't just say that he will save us and that he will triumph over Satan. He's not the student dentist who says that he knows how, but he hasn't actually done it before. In fact, he's not even the expert who um, carries on doing it. It's all done. On the, Christ, uh, on the cross, Christ said, it is finished. And this is what we look back to as we face the judgment of God. Um, turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Hebrews, uh, chapter 10. Hebrews 10 picks up on this topic of living by faith. Uh, verses 36 to 38 say, You need to persevere, so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For, in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. And 
my righteous one will live by faith, and I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. Here, uh, the writer of Hebrews is telling us that those who live by faith will be saved, and those who do not, that is those in Habakkuk who are puffed up and trust in their own doings, they will be destroyed. And this is all in the context of, in a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. Just as God's uh, judgment was coming on Judah, his judgment is coming on us too. Um, But then Hebrews 11 goes on um, in a list uh, to list for us the mighty people of faith in the Old Testament, those who did live by faith in amongst great trials and tribulation. Verse 29 says, By faith the people crossed the Red Sea as if on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. God rescued his people because of their faith, not because of anything that they had done. Do you remember? All that they had to do was to be still. And even if they weren't as sinful as the Egyptians, they were still sinful, just as Judah wasn't as sinful as the Babylonians. They too deserved to be judged by God in the sea, but by faith they were saved. We too must be still before God. That is to lay down our own perceived righteousness and strength, and instead turn to live by faith in his righteousness and strength. And what was the outcome of uh, God delivering his people through the Red Sea? Um, Do you remember? Firstly, they were afraid and cried out to God. We too must be afraid. We must see our position before God and be terrified because as we lift our eyes and see God's judgment um, coming upon us, just as Israel lifted their eyes um, and saw God's judgment coming upon them in the, in the Egyptians. It is only when our true weakness is exposed before God that we cry out to the Lord as Israel did. Our request to God is still the same. In wrath, remember mercy. God then delivered his people and they feared and believed in him. As we see our position before God, we realise that we too are sinful. We lift our eyes to see God's coming judgment. How on earth can we stand? Well, we live by faith. Uh, Keep on flicking on in Hebrews and look down at chapter 12 for me, uh, verses 1 to 2. Uh, It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Uh, The great crowd of witnesses there are all those mentioned in chapter 11. Uh, Maybe Noah, Abel, Enoch, Abraham, Sarah, Moses, the list goes on. Uh, In fact, the writer says in verse 32 that time would fail him to tell us of all of these witnesses. But Hebrews 12 tells us to look at them as they bear witness to the vindication of those of the one who lives by faith. But ultimately, we are to live this life, run this race, by fixing our eyes on Jesus. He does it all. He is the author and the perfecter of our faith. It was Jesus who for the joy set before him endured the cross. In Christ, we are not only given motivation and reason to trust God and th- uh, trust God through his judgment, 
But Christ took our judgment on the cross. It was our shame that he scorned. It is those who live by faith that are saved. No longer does God say uh, to those in Christ, as he did to Habakkuk, I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwelling places not their own. But now, to us, to those in Christ, he says, I am sending you my son, my holy one, who will come down to earth to give you a place otherwise not your own. In Jesus, we no longer say, Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my holy one, you will never die. You, Lord, have appointed them to execute judgment. But we say, Lord, uh, are you not from everlasting? My God, my holy one, you will never die. You, Lord, have appointed him to take my judgment. For Habakkuk, uh, the examples of Exodus would not deliver him from judgment, uh, but they were informing him of how to live in the meantime. For us, faith in Christ not only tells us of how to live as we face God's judgment, but Christ himself delivers us from it as ultimately he would have delivered Habakkuk as well. Now, if what I've been saying um, of Christ to you sounds familiar, then great, that is the point we are to preach this to ourselves. When we preach to ourselves, we see that to live by faith is um, an obvious decision um, for us to make. But sometimes we just need to remind ourselves of this. Um, Well, as I end... Let me share with you a quote um, that explains what I'm trying to say probably uh, much more clearly than I can. Um, A quote from Charles Spurgeon, uh, a man who has been described as the Prince of Preachers. Um, He says this um, as he looks at fixing his eyes on Christ. It is ever the Holy Spirit's work to turn our eyes away from self to Jesus. But Satan's work is just the opposite of this. For he is constantly trying to make us regard ourselves instead of Christ. He insinuates, your sins are too great for pardon. You have no faith. You do not repent enough. You will never be able to continue to the end. You have not the joy of his children. You have such a wavering hold of Jesus. All of these are thoughts about self, and we shall never find comfort or assurance by looking within. But the Holy Spirit turns our eyes entirely away from self. He tells us that we are nothing, but that Christ is all in all. Remember, therefore, it is not thy hold of Christ that saves thee, it is Christ. It is not thy joy in Christ that saves thee, it is Christ. It is not even uh, faith in Christ, though that be the instrument, it is Christ's blood and merits. Therefore, look not so much to thy hand, with which thou art grasping Christ, As to Christ, look not to thy hope, but to Jesus, the source of thy hope. Look not to thy faith, but to Jesus, the author and the finisher of thy faith. We shall never find happiness by looking at our prayers, our doings, or our feelings. It is what Jesus is, not what we are, that gives rest to the soul. If we would at once overcome Satan and have peace with God, it must be by looking unto Jesus. Keep thine eyes simply on him. Let his death his sufferings, his merits, his glories, his intercession, be fresh upon thy mind. When thou wakest in the morning, look to him. When thou liest down at night, look to him. O let not thy hopes or fears but come between thee and Jesus. Follow hard after him, and he will never fail thee. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. 
I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. And um, well, there are some questions on your handout to um, help you to think through this.